You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Surrey's mayor is digging in her heels, saying she'll continue to fight to keep the RCMP in her city. Brenda Locke speaking out after Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth suspended the Surrey Police Board and appointed an administrator to get the transition job done. Janet Brown reports. This was a very heavy-handed move. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke is standing firm to stick with the RCMP as the city's police of jurisdiction. Nothing for us has changed. Despite the move by Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth Thursday to suspend the police board of which Locke was the chair and appoint retired Abbotsford Police Chief Mike Sear as administrator. We have uh, our decision that our council made and that was to keep the RCMP as the police of jurisdiction and that's still our goal. Public Safety Minister and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth says despite what the mayor says the transition continues. The administrator will have the budget to the city of Surrey by November 30th. My expectation is that the the transition will proceed in a more efficient manner. What is happening right now is an embarrassment. And the Surrey Board of Trades also worried how much a new police service will cost. We're so concerned about the business community's taxation impact in 2024. It is businesses that bear the burden of taxation. Former Solicitor General Kashid says removing the police board will only inflame an already heated situation. We have gotten to a point where there's even less public oversight, public consultation with respect to how much the taxpayers are now going to be paying for a police model that we have no idea what it's going to represent. The police board's executive director has issued a statement saying Mike Sear is in the process of becoming oriented to the role and will be taking on full duties of the police board as outlined in the Police Act. The RCMP say we continue to work through the ongoing transition with all partners. The city of Surrey filed a petition in October with the Supreme Court of B.C. seeking a judicial review of the provincial government's order back in July to move ahead with the Surrey Police Service. That petition is expected to be heard within the next few months. Janet Brown, Global News. An 18-year-old man is in hospital with serious injuries after being stabbed during a fight inside a Surrey mall. The fight broke out in the food court in Guilford Town Centre. Sending diners scrambling. As Alyssa Tebow reports, two suspects were taken into custody. A fight between two groups turning Guildford Mall into a crime scene Thursday night. Police say they were called around 4.30. Inside the food court, someone had been stabbed. Upon arrival, police located a 18-year-old victim with serious injuries who was transported to hospital. Surrey RCMP tell Global News the victim walked out to the parking lot. Outside, blood and medical equipment could be seen on the ground. The victim remains in stable condition in hospital and two people have been arrested, though no charges have been laid. I'm not able to provide specific details as to exactly what transpired, as that will form evidence um, that will be brought before the courts in this matter. However, what I can tell you is that the suspects we have in custody, one is a youth and one is a young adult. 
Pepper spray was also deployed during the argument in the food court, but police say they're unaware of anyone else being injured. It's not clear why the fight broke out or how many people were involved, and the suspects are yet to be identified. But Surrey leaders say it's worrying something so violent occurred in a public place involving young people. It's uh, very frightening and uh, very concerned. Absolutely. We were um, upset to hear what happened last night. Investigators are combing through security camera footage and any video captured by dashcam. They're also asking for anyone with information to come forward. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. A scary incident for commuters in Richmond earlier this week when several teenagers were arrested for causing a disturbance on a bus. It happened Wednesday evening on a bus traveling on Highway 99 and Steveston Highway. When transit police officers arrived, they found several teenagers under the age of 16 who were intoxicated and yelling obscenities at other passengers. Officers took the youth into custody without incident and later seized a can of bear spray, two knives and open alcohol. The teenagers were later released into the custody of their guardians. The Crown has wrapped its case in the high-profile murder trial of Ibrahim Ali. Ali is charged in the death of a young teen. The first-degree murder trial began in April, more than six years after her body was found in a Burnaby Park. Rumina Dea is covering the trial. The trees were starting to bloom when the murder trial began back on April 5th. Spring, summer, now fall, the jury trial in its eighth month it was supposed to be only three months long. Crown's case included more than 40 witnesses and roughly 50 exhibits, including videos of the young teen seen hours before her half-naked body was discovered in Burnaby Central Park more than six years ago. 13 jury members sitting through difficult evidence at times, including autopsy pictures of the girl. Crown's theory, the teen was dragged off a trail, sexually assaulted and strangled by a stranger. Ibrahim Ali's DNA found inside the girl, said Crown. Ali has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. An RCMP forensic biologist testified the odds it was someone else's DNA found inside the girl was one in 72 quintillion. That's 18 zeros. There have been dramatic moments in the case including the death of Dr. Tracy Pickett. The sexual assault expert went missing in the middle of cross-examination. Her body discovered in September. Vancouver police said the doctor's death was not suspicious. Her evidence thrown out. The jury told not to speculate. While DNA is the strongest evidence, the case is circumstantial. No witnesses. The teen shorts and underwear never tested for DNA. So what happens next? We don't know if defense is going to call any witnesses. While defense has yet to lay out a theory of what happened, it has suggested that the person who had sex with the teen may not be the same person who killed her. Romina Dea, Global News. A Maple Ridge City Councilor put his own safety on the line to apprehend a break-and-enter suspect at his home. And even though he caught the suspected thief red-handed, police let him go without recommending charges. And Travis Prasad shows us why. As I was in the basement, I hear the footsteps coming in because I'm directly under this bedroom right now. Elected officials have an obligation to interact with the public, but not usually in this way. No one was supposed to be on the property, not my contractor, no members of my family. 
Maple Ridge City Councilor Ahmed Youssef is in the middle of fully renovating his house. On November 8th, just before noon, a man bypassed the perimeter fencing and went inside. He came down the stairs where I was. Youssef followed the perpetrator through the basement, confronting him as he approached the door to the backyard. Right here is where I confronted him. I identified myself and I told him to get on the ground calling 911. Yusuf made a citizen's arrest. Minutes later, two RCMP officers arrived. The police officer is telling the person that they are placing him under arrest for breaking and entering, to which he responds, I didn't break anything. Police questioned the perpetrator on scene before letting him go. He was released on scene. The person was able to get onto his bicycle and ride away from my front door. Yusuf took this photo of the man. We've concealed his identity because Ridge Meadows RCMP are not recommending charges against him, telling Global News the man is a squatter. Severely disappointed. The fact that we're rewarding bad behavior by allowing someone to break into someone's house, possibly, allegedly, stealing some property, and then being able to go home at the end of the day. The man had duffel bags with him, but no stolen property. Yusuf believes he was headed for the shed out back. It was hit by an unknown thief just days before. We've got the power washer, you've got the weed eater, the hedge trimmer was sitting right here with its two batteries and charger, obviously no longer there. One lawyer says police likely decided against recommending charges because the intruder can't be linked to theft in either instance. At this stage, the officer's thinking, how serious is this crime then if we're missing those two factors? I may be able to prove the B&E, but it may not be as serious as it ought to be for me to actually take this thing to court. Still, Yusuf wants charges laid. We need to have that deterrent. We need to have restorative justice so people are held accountable. We need to have equal and consistent application of the law. Travis Prasad, Global News. Vancouver police are asking for your help to identify the suspects in a triple stabbing last year. In the early hours of October 30th, 2022, a fight broke out near Oak Street and West Broadway. Three people were stabbed. The suspects fled before police arrived. VPD is now sharing these images of the two men believed responsible for the stabbings. Despite investigators' efforts, they have not been able to identify them. If you recognize the men in these pictures, you were asked to contact the VPD. We are learning more about the conditions of release for a Coquitlam man accused of assaulting a Vancouver police officer. That assault is alleged to have happened during a political protest outside a Chinatown speakeasy on Tuesday night while Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was inside. Kristen Robinson has the details. The protester accused of gouging the eyes of a Vancouver police constable lists this Coquitlam Housing Co-op as his current address. Hi, Jacob Markowitz. Neighbors say they don't recognize the 27-year-old who identifies himself as a photojournalist, wedding photographer, and artist on his website. Yakub Markowitz is charged with assaulting a peace officer, assault causing bodily harm, and obstructing a peace officer. In connection with this protest Tuesday in Chinatown, outside a cocktail bar the Prime Minister was attending on his personal time. Vancouver police say one of their officers was injured while they tried to disperse the crowd of 250. She was assaulted by a protester who we believe uh, punched her in the face and uh, attempted to gouge uh, around her eyes. Earlier the same evening, protesters accosted Justin Trudeau while he was dining at Vidge's restaurant. The PM was asked Friday about the incidents 
and if he had any concerns about the level of anger in regards to Palestine. The grief, the anger, uh, the despair so many Canadians are feeling is bleeding over into each other. We are not a country where Canadians should be scared of other Canadians. We find ourselves in a moment where the intensity of the emotions, of the fear, of the grief that people are going through is having Canadians forget a little bit about who we are. End the genocide now! While the protesters were vocal, the groups who posted these videos online were silent, turning down our interview requests. Markowitz, who did not respond to an email from Global News, must abide by three release conditions, not attending any demonstrations or protests, and not possessing any weapons. He's also banned from Vancouver unless attending court. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And a group of protesters gathered at Liberal MP Hetty Fry's Vancouver constituency office, calling on her to demand a ceasefire in Gaza. The protesters were carrying signs and both the Israeli and Palestinian flags. The office door was locked and guarded by Vancouver police officers. While tense, the protest remained peaceful. Saanich Police Department has achieved a milestone, tweeting out a photo that shows an all-female constable team. Despite the progress, the chief admits there's still more work to be done. Kylie Stanton reports. My background's all in hospitality jobs. I went to university to play basketball. These women all started out somewhere. I was actually a professional dancer. But every path eventually led them here. I'm a constable in the patrol division at the Saanich Police Department. And on Sunday night, for the first time, the officers keeping Saanich safe were all women. The department tweeting the milestone saying SPD is proud to deploy all female constables tonight in Saanich. It happened that way, it's very organic, uh, but it just really shows the, um, the direction we're going and, uh, and what, what, where our values stand. More than a year ago, the Saanich Police Department was one of the first in Canada to join the 30 by 30 initiative, a promise to have 30% female representation in their ranks by the year 2030. We quickly found out that we were already at the 30% mark uh, of, of female representation within the Saanich Police Department. But no female officers were made available to speak with us today, the chief admitting there is still work to be done paying a lot of attention to our supervisory officers in the sergeant, staff sergeant rank, as well as senior officers and executive officers. Research shows women officers use less force and less excessive force, are named in fewer complaints and lawsuits, are perceived by communities as being more honest and compassionate, and make fewer discretionary arrests. Yet in 2021, only 22% of sworn police officers in Canada were women, 18% in police leadership. We hope to be able to identify the barriers. Inspector Finitari is part of a group conducting a national survey on the female experience within Canadian policing. Collectively, we can address the critical issues and promote a more equitable and supportive working environment for women. You go quiet. Just last month, six women filed a proposed class action lawsuit alleging discrimination and harassment across 13 municipal police agencies. The district municipality of Saanich is named in the suit. The allegations out of step with these testimonials. It's welcoming, challenging. The police chief saying the force is working every day to make up for past mistakes. Kylie Stanton, Global News. 
a local not-for-profit improving downtown safety in a way policing can't. A well, part of my job is to de-escalate situations. Neighbors helping neighbors on a mission making the impossible possible. How it all works next on the News Hour. Property tax shock in BC's summer playground. Why Osuyas residents are facing an extreme increase. Coming up on the News Hour. Also tonight, the truck fire that closed the Okanagan connector for hours later. Right now, though, it's only mid-November, but the province's hospitals are already breaking capacity records. Keith Baldry joins us with more. Keith, you told us last week it was shaping up to be another record-breaking year. Mm -hmm. Were you expecting it so soon, though? Yeah, so it is uh, very troubling and concerning. Our hospitals have never been as crowded as they are right now for a variety of reasons. Here's the latest stats from the health ministry uh, over the last week. So on average, every day, between 9,700 and 10,100 patients occupy a hospital bed. Keep that last line there in focus. 9,900, or the top line, 9,929 base beds exist. So we're over capacity on some days. 300 per day increase from last year. That's on a sustained basis. And that number is going up every day as well, which means we are on track to beat the record number of hospital patients set last year at 10,260. Compounding the problem is the fact that we're seeing a big increase in number of healthcare workers who are off sick. In the week of November 6th to 12th, 17,664 healthcare workers, 10% of the workforce, were off sick at least one day during that week, which further strains resources and puts pressure on the staff at work with such crowded hospitals. Adrian Dix, we caught up with him today, says that one big reason why we've added the number of base beds in the last few weeks? Well, we're taking the action required, so we're increasing uh, the number of base beds in BC uh, in most recent announcement to 9,929. That's up from 9,200. So that's the system responding to what is consistent and increase in demand. Keith, we're also hearing COVID-19 infections are on the way down. Yes, yeah, so you recall for two years, we were, all we were talking about was COVID numbers and COVID hospitalizations. That was driving the number of people in hospital. That is no longer the case, thankfully. So the latest numbers from the Center for Disease Control, it is trending downward. Uh, 25 people reported to have died last week compared to 70 uh, in the first week of October. So the numbers are more encouraging. Still a lot of people in hospital with COVID, 263. But some good news as well. We've now cracked the 1.1 million mark for the number of people who've got the COVID boosters this fall and we've also hit 1.2 million people getting the flu vaccine because flu cases are up in hospital but with 1.2 million people getting the vaccine that lessens the chance of getting overwhelmed with flu uh, visits by patients this fall and winter. I do have my shot scheduled for next week. <laughs> Thank right. you. In the downtown east side, a unique nonprofit called Mission Possible is billing itself as an effective solution for crime and disorder. Its neighbors program employs locals to patrol the neighborhood and de-escalate tent situations without police attending. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, demand for its services is growing. I'll pick it up, load it. As Gordon Bird makes his rounds, he'll pick up needles. You all good? He'll check in on people. He's part of the Mission Possible Neighbors team. Residents know him as a face they can trust and someone they can turn to if they need a referral to a service provider or sometimes nothing more than a cigarette and a food yeah. voucher. Oh, you're welcome. You have yourself a great day. It needs to be done for the integrity, for the community to let them know that, hey, you're not going, you're, we're not, you're not forgotten. Have a good day, bro. 
The Neighbors program has been running for more than a decade as an alternative to private security patrol. Mission Possible hires community peers with lived experience to be a presence on the streets. The last two years in particular have been a challenge on the downtown east side. The Mission Possible team doing what they can to cut down on the rampant street disorder. We're trying to connect people with services they may be in need of um, and, and really uh, help to elevate them, um, but also at the same time really creating employment opportunities. How are you doing today? The program has been a success. This year, Mission Possible doubling the number of contracts they have taken on and doubling the program staff and hours worked. One of the original clients, the Hastings Crossing Business Improvement Association, has seen firsthand what the impact of the neighbor's team has been. Over the last year, more than 12,000 needles have been collected. 113 incidents have been de-escalated and more than 450 people have had service referrals. At the end of the day, they're doing a similar thing to what the police or the emergency services would be doing, um, but it's how they're doing it, and it's really how they're, what they're saying to the community members, how they're helping them move along. No one suggests the program is a magic bullet, but it is part of a host of solutions that need to be implemented to make the street safer for everyone. You know, being a part of the neighbors team has really helped. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Several dozen people spent a chilly night on the street for the 12th annual Covenant House Sleepout. 47 business leaders, executives and community advocates gave up their beds Thursday night and slept outside to help raise funds for the organization's programs and put a spotlight on youth homelessness. So far, donations have exceeded the $1 million goal by nearly $142,000. All the money raised through the event will go towards supporting the nonprofit's short-term supported housing program, which houses young people experiencing homelessness free of charge for as long as they need it. This isn't an event about uh, pretending uh, to, to, to be homeless, to act as if we're homeless. And this is actually about raising awareness um, and raising those funds to ensure that the continuum of care that we offer to the youth that, that we serve uh, can continue. Covenant House supports those aged 16 to 24 who are at risk or experiencing homelessness by providing clothes, food, medical attention and a safe place to sleep as well as education and employment support. Just ahead, a major blind spot in BC Marine safety. I can't believe that, you know, such a simple um, system has been let to fail. Growing backlash against the Coast Guard for letting reliable search and rescue technology degrade to the point of uselessness. Plus, undefeated, the BC 13-year-old making a name for herself in the boxing ring, coming up in sports. Good evening and some good news here on the Vancouver Burnaby border. Final clearing stages of a major crash that was right in the middle of the intersection of First Avenue and Boundary Road. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Burnaby. More fallout tonight to a story we first broke yesterday about a major blind spot on the B.C. coast. A vital tool used by the Coast Guard to search for sailors in trouble has been offline due to a lack of maintenance. 
And as Paul Johnson reports, people who work on the water are outraged. When the Coast Guard responded recently to a capsized tug off of Wreck Beach, one person with first-hand knowledge of that operation told Global News they didn't have adequate information about the location because a system called radio direction finding no longer works on the West Coast. Just weeks before that, the search for two men from a sunken trawler also took place without that capability. Two mariners are dead from those incidents, and another is still missing. The first thing I heard about it was from you and then on the news last night. Jason Woods is president of the ILWU local in Vancouver, representing people who work on the water. They're accustomed to getting critical information about the status of safety capabilities directly from the Coast Guard, not the news media. It's really disturbing the fact that the system is down and they don't communicate this to the West Coast Mariners. Everyone should know. It's just a, a, a doubly bad situation. Lisa Marie Barron is the NDP critic for the Coast Guard. She has some questions she intends to ask at the next opportunity in Ottawa. Why and how this could have occurred, why mariners were not given this information to be able to adjust accordingly, um, and why this investment in life-saving technology has not been made. And from the Conservative side of the House, Shadow Minister Clifford Small has also weighed in, saying that after eight years of Trudeau, Canada's Coast Guard is gutted and left in a state of disrepair just like the military. This is going to happen again, maybe today, tonight, tomorrow, or the weekend. And uh, it's not acceptable to do that. Former Coast Guard official Fred Moxie says in his 30 years on the job, DF was critical in countless rescues and that the decades-old technology triangulating in on a boat in distress is simple and reliable. While the Coast Guard has confirmed its West Coast DF system is down until further notice, they haven't answered our questions about when it went offline and why no one was told about it. Paul Johnson, Global News. Metro Vancouver Regional District workers have voted to adopt a new tentative agreement nearly two years after their last contract expired. The Greater Vancouver Regional District Employees Union represents workers in wastewater management, water treatment, air quality monitoring and other services. It entered a legal strike position near the start of October with wages and benefits being the points of contention. A tentative agreement was reached in early November, and this week, union members voted 85% in favour of it. The agreement won't come into effect until it's been ratified by the Metro Vancouver Board this upcoming Friday. Coming up, Osuyas residents reeling. I don't think a lot of seniors will be able to come up with that extra $2,500. The extreme property tax hike that could add thousands of dollars to the yearly bill. Good evening and great news here in North Vancouver. Final clearing stages of a much earlier rollover accident that had traffic blocked at Mountain Highway and Highway 1. You can see the street sweepers are just clearing up the last of the gunk that was all over the ground and hopefully they'll reopen northbound traffic soon. Traffic is still absolutely gridlocked throughout the area though. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $33 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above North Vancouver.
Osoyoos residents might be facing a higher-than-normal hike in taxes and fees next year. Officials say the increase is necessary to pay for major infrastructure improvements. Taya Fast reports. It came as a bit of a shock for Soyuz resident Ron Sargent. Me and my wife were quite shocked because we were both under the impression that a 24%. We were under the impression 13% increase on property tax with a 10% increase on water and sewer. Last week, municipal taxpayers in Asoyas received a letter in the mail outlining a significant increase in taxes and fees for next year. Well, I feel that it will have a huge impact on the older seniors that have been on a pension for 20 or so years because a fixed income, when you have to add your cost of living and how much medicines, medications, everything is getting to and from it's going to be huge. I don't think a lot of seniors will be able to come up with that extra $2,500 if it's that because it's not set yet. The average single family home will now have to pay a total overall increase of around 39.3%. This does not include any portions of the tax bill that are overseen by the provincial government and those numbers won't be known until next year. I personally will be paying approximately an extra $2,500 a year. That's one of the reasons why we passed the budget so early so that we can give people uh, some additional time to prepare for that June, July uh, 2nd payment due date. So yes, it was a change. Uh, some people have expressed some concerns, but when you sit down and talk to people where this money is going, most of them uh, understand it and appreciate that we're looking out for the future of this community. The town has had ongoing issues with its water system and wastewater management, which according to staff contributed to the tax increase. I think most people know that we're going to be investing significantly in this infrastructure over the next five years. And in fact, that amount's going to be over $60 million. We're really fortunate that the provincial government gave us $9 million in grants to help offset that cost. But that $3 a day is going to contribute to improving our potable water situation. Riesling added that although the increase might be a shock to some, Soyuz still has relatively low tax rates compared to the rest of the valley. Looking at the overall increases of a dollar per day on the municipal side, we are still significantly less than comparable municipalities up the valley. And in fact, we are still uh, going to be, if you look at 2023, second lowest of the six municipalities up the valley. TFAS Global News, Soyuz. Up next, chaos on the Okanagan Connector, the truck fire that had many people stuck for hours. Good. And coming up in sports, a 13-year-old boxer who really packs a punch. That's coming up later. Highway 97C is still closed and has been for hours after a transport truck carrying hazardous materials caught fire just before noon. Crews from several fire departments rushed to the scene about 20 kilometers west of town and fought the fire using full hazmat protocols. As the truck's waybill showed, it was carrying chemicals including mercury and lead. Retired Vancouver firefighter Bob Hollier was one of the first people on scene. Then I noticed the uh, the placards, the hazardous material placards on the back. So that's when I uh, that's when I alerted the driver to to you know get get away. Let's back up and uh, stand far away from it. And although he was a little hesitant to get away from it, uh, I had to holler at him, get the 
you know, to get out of there. Uh, notified the RCMP, you know, we're dealing a little more than just a vehicle fire here because of the contents inside that truck uh, were not good. That stretch is still closed at this hour. No update yet on when it will reopen. Time for a check of weather. You see a lot of gravel on the highway up there, and they did get some snow in the past few days. Let's find out what's coming up this weekend for everyone. Christy? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, that's a very good point. We do have some moisture on the way for the mountain passes this weekend. It is going to be a milder flow, so it'll be sort of a mix in rain and of rain and snow for that area. But really, it's been a tale of two stories across the province over the last little while. We've had clear skies across southern BC. Meanwhile, it has been very stormy across northern BC. There still is a rainfall warning for areas like Prince Rupert into tomorrow morning. Still, the potential for a total of 150 millimeters of rain, but that's including what you've already seen today. Meanwhile. I'll just issued today a special weather statement for the outer coast of Vancouver Island and Victoria because we're going to see a strong northwest flow Saturday night into Sunday morning. That's going to funnel through the Juan de Fuca area. So I am concerned about uh, ferries into Sunday morning. If you're traveling with BC Ferries, check with them and that will bring a strong southerly flow into Metro Vancouver as well, particularly Abbotsford. In the meantime, tomorrow morning we'll wake up to sunshine in Metro Vancouver. This system not driving in until later in the day. Vancouver Island will start to see it sort of late morning afternoon hours but for Metro Vancouver it may not push in until the late afternoon or more so towards the evening hours. Lots of sunshine for those of you in the interior and a bit warmer for you tomorrow. Here's a look at the coastal region so periods of rain developing late morning into the afternoon Metro Vancouver late afternoon towards the evening hours and we are expecting it to be wet and windy Saturday night into Sunday morning but it should be drier by Sunday afternoon and we've got lots of sunshine in store for us on Monday also. All right, tonight's central windows weather window, a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek here. Greg sharing this with us. He said it was a bit of a cow day today. Uh, I think the cow's loving the <laughs> sunshine. So thanks, Greg, for that one on a Friday. Is it tongue-in-cheek or is it nose-in-face? <laughs> I know, that's what I was running. <laughs> He's leaning in for a big, wet kiss. That's what it looks like in that yeah. photo. And I'm not talking about Squire, who joins us now with sports. Not that I have anything against cows, but, you know, I like to keep my distance. Um, I remember when I was a kid and I was trying to show how smart I was to my parents, and I said, you know what, I'm a bit fatigued. Didn't quite know what the word actually sounded like when I saw it on paper. But the Canucks were a bit fatigued last night, or fatigued, if you want to be more accurate. We'll talk about that and uh, a lot of other things coming up. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Squire. Also tonight, satellite debris. Oh, I dropped my pen. Yeah, I got yeah. It. Did you get it? We're all a little bit tired, and Squire even dropped his pen. I fumbled, but I picked it up. Well done. Okay, so. Instead of practicing today, Rick Tockett basically told all the Vancouver Canucks players, turn off the alarms on your phone and sleep in, because it would be way more helpful to do that than going on the ice today. One of the main reasons they lost to Calgary last night is because the Canucks were the skating dead in the final two periods. Second game in two nights after coming back from an Eastern road trip, and they have to play Seattle tomorrow at Rogers Arena. You can see it on their faces at the end of the game in Calgary. Just look at them. 
But when you've built up the kind of cushion the Canucks have with that great start, sometimes you use that cushion because you're so tired. They were okay in the first period. Pedersen, Hughes, and Miller all added to their points atop the scoring race. But after the first period, the Flames burned a rather burned-out Canucks team and won it 5-2. to two. So Formula One's big bet on Las Vegas this weekend got off to a bad start last night when the first practice session had to be stopped because of a loose water valve cover on the track, which damaged Carlos Sainz's Ferrari. Also, organizers have had to drop outrageous ticket prices and some hotels are dropping outrageous room rates because not as many people as they thought were willing to pay big money to watch. And the drivers are not exactly loving this either. Max Verstappen has called this event 99% show and 1% sport. He thinks a 1.2 mile straight run down the strip is okay, but the circuit doesn't have enough corners for his liking. They held a second practice in the wee hours of this morning. The race itself is tomorrow night because they have to make sure it's on TV in the morning time in Europe. So Joe Burrow throws a pass last night and then immediately grabs his wrist and screams in agony, as did many fantasy football players at exactly the same time, and the Bengals as a team. He is a torn ligament, which means he's out the rest of the season. And since 2020, Cincinnati is 2-5 and five when Burrow doesn't play quarterback for them, and the Bengals do have the eighth hardest schedule from here on out in the NFL. So for the last 43 years, the Italian Cultural Center in East Vancouver has put on a night of boxing, and last night they had 12 amateur bouts, which included one with Ruby Coleman in it, who at the age of 13 already looks to have the potential to be a future Olympian, possibly in 2028. A couple years ago, boxing was just an after-school activity for Ruby Coleman, but now she has six amateur fights under her belt. I think something just switched. I realized that like I can do it. You know what I mean? And um, I found I found joy in it, and I found like peace in it, kind of thing. And it's very therapeutic. The 13-year-old's love for the sport wasn't exactly a sucker punch that no one saw coming. She's been around the ring her whole life. Her X factor is that she comes from a lineage of fighters. So her father was a professional fighter. Fights are on all the time. I'm always talking boxing. Guys come over for the fights. I mean, I go to the fights. I take them to the fights. So it's not a surprise at all. Ruby is still in the first round of her boxing journey, but has big dreams of becoming one of the best in Canada. Our plan right now is just working towards the 2027 um, Canada Winter Games. That's where we're going. Saying that she's going to be part of Team Canada is like almost like underselling what she's going to be doing in her boxing career. She's got so much potential, man, and it's, uh, I'm just happy to be a part of the corner, you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel lucky. I didn't bring her to boxing. She decided she wanted to box, and I'm, I'm happy to help, but I can't keep her out of the gym. And I wake up at like 6 a.m. before school, go running, come home, go to open gym, go to training at night. All that training is paying off in the ring like it did at Thursday's annual Night of Fights event at the Italian Cultural Center when Ruby won her three-round bout by split decision. I like fighting, like it's something I look forward to every day. Um, so the training part is, is good, like with my team, it's very fun, but I always am just going for going in the ring and fighting. Cause it's my favorite part. It's my favorite thing ever. You're a good boxer, Ruby. Let's go show off, okay? While that is clearly her biggest promoter, Ruby is still working on getting her mom all the way in her corner. My, I think she's getting there. We've got her almost, so it just 
keep telling her I'll be fine, and then she's coming, she's coming, <laughs> for sure. College basketball game, one of these contests where you have to put the ball 94 feet into a hole to win $5,000. I wouldn't show you if it didn't happen. I mean, why would I and he missed. missed, he got it! Wow! Five grand. Well done. That's longer than Nick Taylor's putt at the Canadian Open. By about mm, around 20 feet, I guess. And how much did Taylor win for that putt? Well, considerably more than five grand. <laughs> yeah. And if any hacker does that putt, they just get a high five from their buddies. <laughs> That's true. And then they have to buy a round of drinks. If it's hole in one, you've got to buy it. That's right. Great All right. Thank you, Squire. Uh, satellite debris is next. Squire, don't go away. Tis the season for satellite debris. Yes. Do you remember the friendly giant? Mm -hmm. I do. Big, look up, look guy. way up. Yeah, look way up. And he had the purple <laughs> giraffe and that rooster in a bag. Well, here's a, uh, a friendly giant as well to sell us insurance. So big, on this you can rely. No mountains too tall for the strong boost to climb. I am by your side. I am by your side. Thanks. Got a heart Anytime. so big, on this you can rely. No too tall for this strong boost to climb. I am by your side. Now you know how I feel. I was gonna here. say. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> we all are thinking the same thing. All right. So we uh, do have one little Christmas commercial from uh, the UK, and also one for your cats. Teeth. Hmm. Seriously. Oats, camera, coffee machine. Cut. Please tell me you got that, Trev. Uh, yeah. This is gonna break the internet. From toys to tech to homeware, this Christmas, there's more to Argos. Cats. Smart enough to get their claws into your will. But not smart enough to clean their own teeth. I think that cat needs some braces, too. I didn't see that ending that way. Uh, the dancing okay. doll is creepy. Hey, you like things that, you know, Anapomorphic things that talk. Except for dolls. Except I don't for like dolls. Baby dolls. Okay. No. All right. No. Duly noted. Uh, here's one with uh, Queen Latifah. Most Americans have tried it at least once. Some people drink it every day. But recently, dairy deniers all over America are subjecting them to milk shaming. Just listen to these stories. I'm on a first date. Everything's going good. I asked the waiter for some milk to go with my chocolate lava cake. And my date just left. 
And when the milk finally came to the table, she came back and threw it in my face. Poor guy. It was my turn to bring the snacks for my kid's baseball game. Who doesn't love a little chocolate milk, right? Apparently the moms. No, thank you. No. You, can, you can keep out. In the coach. Now my son is playing second outfield, which is a parking lot behind a fence. I've been trying to keep his spirits up. Look what's coming your way. Hey, look, bud, look what the, your boss coming your way. How about that, huh? But it's tough. Wow. I was running for city council until the local paper printed a picture of me from my college yearbook chugging milk at a frat party. <laughs> milk, baby! Woo! Let's go! <laughs> and you know, don't use any of that. So next time you're about to shame someone for drinking milk, think about them. And also this lady. And maybe this little kitten. Don't they matter? If you've been a victim of milk shaming, call the number on your screen. Together we can pour milk shaming down the drain. Are you going to test it? I want to know what happens when you call that number. That's a good question. <laughs> we should call it. Strong teeth and bones. Work for me. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for watching. It does a body good, right? It does a body good. That's right. Good it gives night. you a cool mustache. Movember. <laughs>